0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be Please seated. Be seated. Again, my name is Ted Sin, Uh, honored to be uh, here with you all this morning. As Damien has said, we are starting this series through uh, 1 John, and uh, in future weeks, most likely next week, I plan to share some introductory remarks about 1 John. I plan to give some summary thoughts about this series. Uh, But this morning, for the sake of time and light of all that we've experienced so far in the liturgy, uh, I decided we would just jump right in. And so what I want to do is I want to jump in uh, to these first four verses in 1 John this way. I want to ask the question, uh, where are we trying to go and how are we trying to get there? If you'll just stop and think for a second, humans have a proclivity, uh, an inclination, a tendency uh, to constantly and incessantly uh, identify a future reality that they think will satisfy them and then begin to map out a plan for getting to that place. Uh, All humans regardless of the extent to which we're aware of it, all of us are constantly processing two questions in our hearts and minds. What destination, if you will, will finally make me happy? And once I know the destination, how do I get there? So a middle school student, for example, might decide whether they can articulate it or not. They might decide I have to be on that team or in that club, or I have to be in that group of friends. And once I get to that future reality, once I identify it and fixate upon it uh, and decide I have to get there, I start to make decisions in my life to to get myself to that place. Uh, A college student will often think, for my life to count, for me to be satisfied, I have to get that job, I have to get into that school upon graduation. And again, the college student begins to create this plan for getting to that place. Uh, Many young adults believe that marriage to a certain person uh, or or to a certain type of person uh, will give them a great life. And the filter through which they begin to make decisions becomes this, which job, which church, which car, which apartment, which outfit, which perfume, which body wash, which haircut, which friend group, which whatever will help me get there. Uh, many of my peers are like me. We begin to believe that if we have X number of dollars in the bank at some point in the future, we'll finally be filled with delight. We'll finally be able to relax. We'll finally be alive. And so, what is it? What is it for you? As you scan the proverbial horizon, what destination have you decided upon that you believe will bring you joy? and delight and fullness. And how are you trying to get there? My primary point at this time in the sermon is not to evaluate where we're trying to go. My primary desire is to point out that a significant part about being human is this. It is this never ending internal dialogue on where and how. It is this incessant identification of an end outside of the present reality and the means to that end. And so the trouble of course biblically is not that we have aspirations. The trouble biblically is we have this chronic dissatisfaction with the present. We always believe we're about to live in the future. But also not only do we have this chronic dissatisfaction with the here and now, we are constantly pursuing ultimate satisfaction in things that will never ultimately satisfy. It's not middle school friends. It's it's not that job or that school. It's not that spouse. It's not those children. It's not X number of dollars in the bank. Now, we're only going to have two points this morning. And once we get to those points, I have to tell you now, we're going to move backwards through the text In other words, we're gonna start in verses three and four in our first point, and then go to verses one and two in our second point. But in light of that, and because of that, and to make it as easy on you as possible to follow along, I wanna summarize the text for you this way. Verse one, verse two, and the first half of verse three are all about how to get where we wanna go. The second half of verse three tells us where we wanna go. And verse four tells us why we want to go there. So verse one, verse two, and the first half of verse three are all about the resurrected Jesus. The end of verse three is all about uh, that place where, where John says we want to go. It's called fellowship. And verse four tells us that complete joy, perfect delight, and fullness of life is increasingly experienced by those who increasingly make their way To fellowship. So with the outline this morning being this, where do we want to go and how do we get there? Let's begin. So first, where do we want to go? Look at your text. It's in your your worship folder. uh, Insert. Look at verses three and four. In, In the first phrase of verse three, John essentially says this, we proclaim Jesus to you. I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. But pick up in the middle of verse three. This is why we proclaim Jesus to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy, our delight, our satisfaction might be complete, perfect, and full. John is telling his audience and us that complete joy doesn't come from having things. It comes from having relationships. That perfect delight is not about knowing things, it's about knowing others and being known by others. That fullness of life doesn't come from knowing about God, it comes from knowing God. Now the word in verse three that's translated into the English as fellowship is the the Greek word that a lot of people who grew up in the church will know. The word is koinonia, koinonia. Uh, Koinonia uh, meant so much more to the original audience than fellowship does to us. I, having grown up in a Baptist church, I hear fellowship and I think sort of polite interactions with simple acquaintances at the quarterly potluck dinner in the fellowship hall. That's fellowship. That's on the horizon that will satisfy you. No thanks. Koinonia, though, to the original audience, it meant this, listen carefully, a deep face-to-face intimacy, a strong shoulder-to-shoulder partnership, a generous hand-to-hand sharing. In the Greek culture, koinonia was most often used for intimate love relationships. In Roman civilization, koinonia was most often used for business partnerships among family. In addition to that, if you look at the 14 or so instances of koinonia in the New Testament, you're gonna see that the New Testament writers use this word to describe intimate relationships like the Greeks, to describe uh, 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 co-laboring in the mission like the Romans. And they'll also, in addition to these, use this word uh, koinonia to describe believers sharing their extra resources with other believers whenever they needed it. And so in our English translations, uh, we have this word koinonia presented to us uh, with three or four different English words. So in our text, koinonia is fellowship. In, in passages like Philippians 1.5, it's, it's translated as partnership. In passages like Romans 15.26, it's translated as sharing or contributing. And of course, the problem that the translators run into when they try to render this word in our language is that they they, they don't have a word that computes in our minds and hearts the way koinonia computed in the mind and in the heart of the original audience. Koinonia, fellowship, that reality on the horizon that will delight us and fill us with joy is not a polite potluck. It's face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, hand-to-hand community. What will bring perfect delight, verse four? Verse three, face-to-face intimacy with God and with his people. What brings complete joy, verse four? Shoulder-to-shoulder partnership in the mission of God with his people. What will bring fullness of life, verse four? Verse three, the open-handed sharing of resources, ironically, with God, And his people. The Bible redundantly teaches and compare this to what we have set upon the horizons. Uh, what, What does this sound like compared to what we've set the affections of our heart upon? The Bible says complete joy does not come from having things. It comes from having relationship. The Bible says perfect delight is not about knowing things, even things about God. Ultimate satisfaction comes from knowing and being known by God and by his people. But with that said, with the word koinonia now in your mind and in your heart, John would also urge us. He would say to us, do not seek life by trying to accomplish something temporal on your own. Seek life by trying to accomplish something eternal for God, with God, and with your friends. John would say, in pursuit of your happiness, do not hold on to your extra money. Give your extra money to people who need money, even if that means you're gonna need their money in the future. I had a conversation a while back with a gentleman who is now a highly respected uh, trainer of the various elite forces in the US military. Uh, He trains uh, like rangers and SEALs. And as you could expect, uh, prior to becoming a very prestigious trainer, uh, he served for years, I think 12 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he himself was a member of uh, the Army Special Forces. And and, um, he was clearly the best, serving with the best each and every day in volatile situations, uh, close-quartered situations, uh, life and death situations. And, and after he talked about those 12 years for a while, I, I asked him this question. I, I said, something like this as we were hanging out at his training compound somewhere in the Midwest. I said, I bet you're glad that your days of actual fighting are over. And, and I bet you're glad to be at this place where you're training people who are going to fight. And his reply shocked me, although it may not shock all of you. He said very adamantly, oh no, I would rather be. Uh, there than here. He said, I realized each and every day that I was putting my life on the line, but I never felt so alive as I did back then. This is the pertinent part of the conversation. This is the reason I tell you that. This is why I'm sharing it with you. At one point in our conversation, uh, he shared with us what he called the three vital principles of community. His words, not mine the three vital principles of community that he tried to instill into every team and into every squad, into every platoon that came and trained with him. Principle one, know, accept, and seek to improve every member of your team. Principle two, fight the enemy as a team. Principle three, give any resource you have to a fellow member of your team if they need it. Know, accept, and seek the improvement of every member on your team. Fight the enemy as a team. Share anything you have with any member of your team if they need it. Face to face, shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand. I have no idea if this gentleman was a believer. I'm guessing not. Just guessing based on my experience of him but isn't it fascinating that he felt so alive, probably more alive than me because he was experiencing something that had so close a similarity to Koinonia. God as the creator of humanity, knows what we're made for. He knows what will satisfy us. He knows what we long for at the depths of our being. He wants us to be delighted. He tells us fellowship. that will do it. Think back to creation. Think back to Adam and Eve. Think to to, to God's original plan for humanity. Think back to life uh, before uh, it was shattered by by sin and death and and the fall. What do we know about them? They were naked and unashamed. Face-to-face intimacy with each other. Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with God. They talked with God. intimacy with the creator God. They were sent on a critical mission by God as image bearers to to take his kingdom and expand it around the chaotic globe. They had a significant purpose to stand shoulder to shoulder in. They were part of God's global dominion. Not only that, God said, look at all these resources I'm giving to you. Whatever you need in life and mission, this, this is what you have. You can have all of it. We will have increased joy when we are increasingly experiencing koinonia with God and with each other. Practical thoughts: This is a huge idea. I get that John speaks to huge things in this introduction, but here's some some practical thoughts. The Apostle John would encourage us to think twice about working late instead of going with our community group to serve the city uh, in some location or some place. John, knowing that koinonia can uniquely fill you with joy and energy, would say, think about it twice before you declare yourself too tired to get up and participate in community Bible reading. John, understanding how we were designed and created and understanding how koinonia, a relationship with God and relationship with one another, he would say, think twice before you decide I'm too tired to go to community group. He would say, you might be turning to something that can't satisfy you and saying no thanks to the way God intends to fill you back up. Parents, would you like to enjoy parenting more? Would you like to experience more delight in your parenting? John is saying to us, he's saying, understand and remember how parenting advances God's kingdom today and in the future. John is saying, sit face to face with God and pray about your children and pray about your parenting. John is saying, sit face to face with other believers and stand shoulder to shoulder with other believers and hold hands with other believers and encourage one another in the crucial aspect that parenting is to the mission of God. Do you want your job to be more of a delight and more fulfilling? John's saying, spend face-to-face time with God. Understand from God why he called you to that role at this time. John is saying, spend face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder time with other believers and begin to brainstorm, what does it look like for me to advance the mission of God in this call and in this place? And John is saying, whatever is going on in our lives, if we want more energy, more joy, more contentment, more satisfaction, more peace, He's saying it's gonna come in relationship with the creator who is redeeming all things through his son and those who are walking with that son in the same direction. So you could take this a thousand different places. This again, as I said, this is a huge idea. But the point I wanted to get across here in this first point is, is that we experience more and more joy when we experience more and more Koinonia. So if that's where we want to go, if that's the the, the destination, the reality on the horizon to which we're going, how do we get there? How do we get there? Pick up in verse one. Uh, We're going to see how we increasingly uh, get to the state of Koinonia. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Here is how we experience increasing joy uh, through fellowship with God and each other. We continue to hear and increasingly believe the good news of the resurrected Jesus. If you spend some time uh, looking at and thinking about verses one and two, it eventually becomes clear, it eventually comes into focus that John is referencing Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the message of Jesus. And at first, I grant you, it is a little obscure. It's obscure because John starts off with these four neuter pronouns instead of four masculine pronouns. So for example, he doesn't write he who was from the beginning. He writes that which was from the beginning. And the reason for that is that John is not just referencing the man Jesus. He's referencing the life of Jesus, verse one and verse two. And he's referencing the message of Jesus, uh, verses five and following. We'll get to that next week. But as I said, if you sit with this passage for a while, you'll begin to see what we're talking about this morning, that John wants our joy to be complete. That happens when we have koinonia with God and each other. And koinonia is a result of, listen again, the constant and repeated speaking of and hearing the gospel of the resurrected Jesus. Yesterday afternoon, I was driving my son Braden uh, to a popka for a soccer game. And after getting through customs, Somewhere along the way, it was so far. I had no idea a pop goes that far away. But we get there and we're late on time and we enter into this massive sports complex. And from the road, I I clearly came in the wrong entrance because I left and it was much simpler. But from the road, I could actually see soccer goals on the horizon. But it took us seven minutes to get to the goals. If you've been there, you know that this place is the size of Maitland. It is huge. It's huge. There are so many ball fields. There are so many playgrounds. There's an amphitheater. There are 750 million parking spaces. All of them with cars uh, in them on on a Saturday. It was crazy. And the roads in this park do not go straight. I guess they don't want anybody to pick up speed because you weave in and out of venue after venue after venue. I stopped and asked two times, how do I get to those soccer fields? I was begging, I was cursing Siri, Siri, for the love of all that's good and holy, get me to field number two right now. And she kept trying to take me to Wikipedia. I was like, no, I want you to take me to field two right now. Uh, I called two parents, all of us in the complex, trying to get to the dadgum soccer field. And I could see on the horizon where I wanted to go, but over and over and over, I had to give thought to how do I get there? I know that's where I want to go. How do I get there? You see, John is writing believers in and around Ephesus. And these believers are being tempted by false teachers to walk away from Jesus, to walk away from Christianity. And he's telling them what they already know. He's saying, Jesus is the means by which you get to where you want to go. I mean, look at it four times in four verses. He mentions communication of Jesus to a people who already knew Jesus. Jesus. John, he keeps going back to Jesus. He testifies, verse two. He proclaims, verse two. He proclaims, verse three. He writes, verse four. What this tells me is that the repeated and constant communication of and hearing about Jesus is the path to increased koinonia, which will result in joy. Why do I keep saying the resurrected Jesus? Look in verse Verse one. John says of Jesus, we touched or we handled or literally we groped Jesus with our hands. This is a very, very rare word in the New Testament. Uh, the only other time it's used of Jesus is in Luke chapter 24, when the resurrected Jesus appears to his fearful disciples in the upper room in, in the locked room. And Jesus says to them, see my hands and feet, touch me, handle me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Also, John says twice in verse two that Jesus was, quote, made manifest to them. This Greek word is never used for the incarnation of Jesus in the Bible and it's never used for the birth of any human in Greco-Roman culture. He's not talking about Jesus's birth. He's talking about Jesus's resurrection. In, In both Mark and Luke, at the end of their gospel narratives, When the resurrected Jesus appears or is made manifest to his disciples prior to his ascension, it is this word that is used. And John is saying that the constant and repeated communication of and hearing about Jesus and his resurrection is the way, the path, the road to that delight for which you seek. Why is that so? Well, first, we all know that a face-to-face encounter with God as an unclean, sinful person should result in our death. But the message about the resurrected Jesus tells me that Jesus died. And it tells me that Jesus died for my sins in my place. And in him, I'm face to face with the father. So first, in order to have koinonia with the father, I have to believe in a resurrected Jesus. But second, in order to have intimate and missional relationships with you, uh, for us to have them with each other, we have to keep going back to Jesus too. Think about it. How can we be authentic and real and honest in light of how sinful and broken and wounded we are? Only when we know that we're accepted by the creator king Only when we know that we're accepted by the all-knowing God will we have the courage to increasingly be known by other people. But also to fall in love with Jesus more and more, I have to repeatedly see the resurrected Jesus. I have to repeatedly see that he went through hell to give me eternal life. And when I see him in all of his beauty and all of his glory, I turn from these temporal things and I look towards him and I move towards him and the life that I can have in him. You see, John is saying to us what we have said every week for a long time. He is saying to us what we hear every week in our community groups. He is saying to us what we read every morning in community Bible reading. You have to keep going back to Jesus. He is the way to the fellowship that will bring you life. Our trip yesterday to Apopka, on that trip, one of my children mentioned uh, that their class talked about 9-11 for about an hour this week. And even though our children are in public schools, the topic of religion was inevitable because religion and spirituality always come up in, they always come up in and around the topic of tragedy and death. Okay, but not only that, not only was it inevitable that it was going to come up, uh, it specifically came up because one of the students asked the teacher, why did the terrorists do it? And the teacher responded, religion. Uh, They thought that they had to do it for their religion. And so as is common in an an elementary class, the conversation moved on from 9-11 and the class started talking about religion. And the students started to articulate what they and their families believe. And the teacher basically summarized every world religion when she said this about what she believes. She said, I have to do enough good things to gain enough of what I call karma so that when I die, I'm blessed by an impersonal God or force. And I asked my first grader, my fourth grader, and my fifth grader, how's that different from the Bible? And they said, the gospel is not about what we do, but what's been done. You see, every other world religion teaches I have to do things to get the blessing of God. The gospel is Jesus has done everything, and I already have the blessing of God. And therefore, if I want to experience relationship with God and then his people, I go back to the one who gave me that life. You see, the terrorists fundamentally believed they had to fly the plane into those buildings in order to earn God's favor. The postmodern teacher fundamentally believes that she has to believe everyone gets to have their own religion, that she cannot judge any of those religions, but explains somehow why you can't fly planes into buildings. And all the while, she has to be really nice about it. But me and my elementary age students, we're not really sure what all we have to do. We just know it's done. And frankly, we're not sure what we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, but we know Jesus, he, he never did it and he died in our place. He was risen to life, and we live in him. Let's pray. Most gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder yet again that in you are all the pleasures we seek, that in you and in your community are all the delights that we're after, that in you and in your mission is the satisfaction of our soul, We praise you for the gospel of Jesus that we have failed yet again this week to live out these things. And yet we stand before you again, face to face, your face delighting in us, enjoying us, your Holy Spirit about the mission of transforming us. You, Lord Jesus, waiting for the Father to say, go back and bring the new heavens and the new earth to them. They're my children. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight to not live like the world. Help us to not think that the joy of our life is in front of us. Help us to enjoy what has already been given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us to not believe that the things of this world will satisfy us, but that you and your things are our delight. Give us discernment, Holy Spirit, to live our lives in ways contrary to this world, that we might win more and more folks from this world into your family. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.